Great form by you hitting play on this podcast. Now, check out Same Racer, the brand new racing app for Same Race multi-tips. Same Racer. Download from the App Store and Google Play. Powered by Bluebet. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. The Sporting Capital with Sam Hargraves on SEN. Heroes and villains after a massive prelim finals weekend. one 736 And Mick McGuan's going to run his eye over those results and look ahead to the grand final in a couple of weeks. Yes, indeed. Uh, thank you for sticking with us. Sporting Capital, Sam Hargraves with you. Cannot wait to sink our teeth into heroes and villains tonight. Monday nights and we always do that. And we do it uh, with with all love and care and there's nothing harsh or nasty uh, about it when we do our villains. But heroes and villains is such a time-honoured sort of part of, of sport. Who did you cheer for? Who did you maybe boo? What did you love? What didn't you love? Heroes and villains that caught your eye from the weekend. I can't wait for this. I've been hanging out for it all weekend since those two games have been run and won because never has it probably been easier to find a very clear delineation for some fans between who were heroes and who were villains. So one 736 736 We do it every Monday night, heroes and villains. Nine o'clock, Mick McGuan is going to join us. Uh, a lot of people still text through saying, why, oh, why is Mick McGon not in the AFL ranks? Uh, and a lot of respect for the football brain that lies uh, inside the bonds of one Mick McGon. So we're going to get him on to get his view on the prelim weekend, uh, his thoughts on the teams that have fallen off, and... Uh, and a look ahead to the grand final in a couple of weeks' time. And then Tim Manor, former Parramatta Eels skipper, will talk us through the first week of the NRL finals. On a day-to-day where, well, the NRL weren't going to budge on moving Melbourne Storm's prelim from a night slot to a day slot to just avoid going head-to-head with the AFL grand final. You thought that'd just be... um, one of the easiest decisions in the world to make. But they dug their heels in until uh, mounting public pressure and probably the broadcasters saying, is this really a great idea? We're not really wrapped to be going up against the AFL Grand Final, if you wouldn't mind, uh, given the Storm are in this game in the prelim and uh, there's two Victorian teams in the Grand Final. Uh, would you mind just helping us out a little bit? Uh, and that's what's happened. So uh, Tim Manor's going to join us. We'll talk about that, uh, get his view on the first week of the NRL finals and then a quick look ahead uh, to next week as well. Uh, and Sam McClure's got uh, some uh, – he's gone with a story tonight on uh, Sports Day that I'm going to play you very shortly as well. Uh, it's to do with Carlton. It's to do with Geelong. Uh, and I'll play you too, Greg Williams. So Diesel back at uh, Carlton in a director of footy role. Uh, he has recorded a video with the Carlton website. I'll play that for you as well. Uh, but one three hundred seven three six seven three six is the number to get involved in heroes and villains on a Monday night.
736 heroes and villains. I always like you to open the bowling when we do this on a Monday night. So one three hundred seven three six seven three six or zero four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen off the temper text. Temper a mattress like no other. Sean has rolled in with heroes. Melbourne's youth. I still think Geelong's best was the best of the comp this year. Villains Geelong. Old age just couldn't run out the season. No excuses. Live by the sword. Die by the sword. So that's an interesting proposition, Sean, isn't it? Did they live by the sword and die by the sword? I equate live by the sword, die by the sword to living dangerously, to 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 taking risks, to not just but playing it safe, to go out on a limb from time to time. That's what I believe that phrase to mean. I think Geelong did anything but live by the sword. Uh, and a lot's been spoken about in terms of their game style and their game... Uh, their game plan, and does it have a place in modern footy now? Have we finally closed the book on defending with the ball in hand with slow, methodical, rigid and strict game plan as opposed to wanting to maybe live in a little bit more chaos? Chaos has won the day. Chaos beats control. There is so much evidence um, of in the modern era of footy that chaos will always beat control. If you've got two control teams which, you know, you go back to the Sydney and West Coast Eagles grand finals, those were two control teams. But then chaos started to come through because that's what they believed was going to beat flooding, chaos. And Geelong started to beat handball. Geelong started to beat flood with handball through, and they won in 2007. Uh, Then Hawthorne went about stopping that handball run with the bumper bars, and in a way that was their own version of chaos because that disrupted... Geelong's game plan. So chaos, chaos has clearly won the day now since 2007. Every bit of evidence. So any time a control team has come up against a chaos team, especially on grand final day, chaos wins. I'm happy to have arguments on that, but I would think live by the sword, die by the sword. That's exactly what Melbourne play like. That's exactly what the Western Bulldogs play like. That's what Port did play like until they come up against a side that just did it far better. So that's to me, that's living by the sword, dying by the sword. I love the text, though. And, Sean, that's not having a crack at you. I just think it's an interesting point you raise. Did Geelong live by the sword and die by the sword? I would say no. one three hundred seven three six seven three six heroes and villains on a Monday night. Mark's a good friend of the show, uh, calling from Sydney. G'day, Mark. G'day, Sam. How are you? I'm really well, thank you. I would say my heroes would be Dylan Alcott and Quade Cooper for the way they blitz their respective competitions on the weekend because, um, you know, Dylan's just amazing. I mean, you know, being in a wheelchair like he is, getting the golden slam, mm. just amazing. And Quade Cooper, uh, just, you know, 100% kick rate, especially with that penalty after the final siren. It's just amazing. And, I mean, I believe this justifies every Australian's faith in him, and I believe he should get his Australian citizenship right now. Dutton is just way off base not giving it to him. Um, as uh, of, you know. Quade Cooper? Yeah. Uh, Quade Cooper's well, an Australian citizen. Well, I believe they had a report there saying that um, he'd been knocked back to citizenship a number of times. Quade Cooper. I could be wrong, but oh, yeah, I believe so. I, I hadn't read that, Mark. I'll go and check that out. I'm not saying you're wrong. I, I just hadn't heard that, and that's uh, that's obviously taken me by surprise. But uh, it, it, getting back to the the sports side of that, Quade Cooper is an interesting story. There's a lot of people that were of the opinion that he should never have played for the Wallabies ever again, and he'd had chance after chance. It'd been sort of 
issue after issue. He'd been four years out of the national side and to step up and kick the winning uh, penalty kick uh, to get them a win over South Africa in the rugby championship, that's how you redeem yourself, isn't it? That's redemption. So say what you want about whether he should have been there or he shouldn't. They gave him a chance and he repaid the faith in the best way that you possibly can. And Dylan Alcott, you know, as you say, Mark, that's one of the greatest sporting achievements in Australian history, the, the Golden Slam. So to win all the majors and a gold medal, um, yeah, there, there's not much more you can say about that other than it, is, it does sit up there in the pantheon of just the extraordinary and should be revelled in and should be marvelled at and... Uh, you're 100% right. They're really good nominations to get us going. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. 736 Sean, uh, yeah, fair call, but I don't think Geelong have any other option with their list. They're not quick enough to play a quick brand of footy. Yeah, maybe not. But one of the things about that Hawthorne side, they weren't overtly quick, were they, either? I mean, they had Smith and Hill and um, Cyril, but it was more about how quickly they moved the ball. I don't know if you have to be fleet of foot to be fast of ball movement. And... I've said it a few times with all due respect. And by the way, the Cats were my prediction to win the grand final this year at the start of the year. I thought when they got Jeremy Cameron that they would then unleash the shackles a little bit and play a more expansive game because you've got the key forwards to do it. Um, They're key forwards, and we'll get to villains soon. But they went at 26% inside 50 efficiency. They couldn't conjure up a shot on goal. The slow ball movement played into the hands of Melbourne as every expert to a, to a person said that they would. Um, I, I thought that once they got Jeremy Cameron, gave up three first-rounders for him, that that would change the style. And they did show glimpses of it. The win over Sydney earlier in the year, the win over West Coast. So they can play that way. They've shown that they can play that way. Maybe the reason why they were so keen on the, the, the quarters being short was they thought that maybe we don't have... Um, the young legs to be able to run those out. But I certainly don't think they live by the sword, die by the sword. And and you, they did have options, I would say, Sean. They just they just chose not to use them. So then it's a really big question about what happens next. And we'll play a little bit of audio from what people have said across the day about what happens next for Geelong. Because I, I'm not one that says sack, sack, sack. Um, I don't think you sack Chris Scott. He's... Regular season record, 72%. So that's that's nothing to be... I mean, that's as good as there's ever been. 72% home and away winning percentage. But the question needs to be asked of him, and he needs to be given the chance to change. So you, I would, you would think that Steve Hocking comes in and the board has a sit-down with Chris Scott um, and says, right, so we obviously... This game style and this, this, this path that we've gone down on the way we play, it hasn't worked. It hasn't worked. So we need to change on-field or we may need to then change off-field if we can't change the on-field. You've you got to give Chris Scott, I think, the chance to implement something new, to evolve, um, to redesign the way that they go about it. Uh, one three hundred one three hundred seven three six seven three six uh, zero four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. 98 Yeah, a lot of people saying that Quade Cooper is not an Aussie citizen. I wasn't aware of that. Um, so thanks for letting me know that, Mark. Hi, Sam. Chaos doesn't beat control. When I watched Get Smart as a small boy, control used to always win. Joe, that's beautifully done. Really setting a nice tone, and I like that. So Get Smart aside, chaos will always beat uh, control. Um, 
0433981116 off the temper text. Temper, uh, a mattress like no other. Uh, a few more texts coming through. I'll get to all of those in a minute. Uh, Dylan Alcott, hero nominations coming in. Daniel Medvedev as well from Freddie. The villain is Novak Djokovic. Uh, who missed his opportunity to claim the Grand Slam. Of course, he wasn't able to get um, gold at the Tokyo Olympics and then had an all-time tanty and pulled out of the uh, the mixed doubles as well. Um, so I'm more than happy for Novak to cop a villain nomination here and there, although he was very humble in defeat, it must be said. Um, so give us a call, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. I'll start going through mine. So... Actually, what I'll do is we'll take a break first and we'll come back uh, and go through mine. We'll get a break away uh, and come back with more heroes and villains. I'll keep crafting uh, going through these texts that are coming through, so keep sending those in. And as I said, Sam McClure has got an interesting yarn that he's gone with on Sports Day tonight. I'll play you that. And Greg Williams has spoken on the Carlton website today about his role returning to the Blue Baggers. Uh, this is the Sporting Capital, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Uh, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. We do heroes and villains on a Monday night, and uh, these are there's just some really clear cut ones, isn't there? Uh, and there's some that I'm looking forward to. I hope that are a little bit left to field outside the box as well. But the weekend really did give us some very clear heroes and some very very easily to identify villains. One three hundred seven three six seven three six. Harry's in Belmore, in New South Wales. G'day to you, Harry. G'day, Wayne. Uh, Ryan Pappenhausen. Yes. He uh, doesn't look like a footballer, but I watched him going. He's all over the place. He's very, very good. And uh, for a villain, back a few years, was Les Boyd. He broke Daryl Broman's uh, jaw with the best forearm jolt you've ever seen since the wrestling. Is that right, Harry? So, geez, I like that. Maybe that's something we could implement to heroes and villains. Uh, a hero and villain, uh, and then we do a throwback hero and villain. Uh, I love that nomination, Harry, especially the hero of Ryan Pappenhausen. I mean, since he copped a quite a nasty swinging arm earlier in the year, he hasn't been quite at the level that he started the year off in, but he's returned to form in the 40-12 to win for the Storm against Manly in the first week of the finals on the weekend, Friday night. Uh, they just dominated. Manly had been the form team of the competition coming into finals. They started the year 0-4. They had a brilliant run home. Um, Turbo Tommy, Tom Travojevic, is probably going to be a, a, one of the a, win the Daly M in a landslide. They put a lot of work into him. They intimidated him and went physical with him early. And then Ryan Pappenhausen scored two tries to be back to his very best. And uh, the Storm are through to their eighth prelim in 10 years which thankfully won't be played up against the AFL Grand Final. It'll be played uh, at a 4 o'clock start time. So what a lead-in to Grand Final Day that's going to be. A storm prelim up against either Penrith or Parramatta, who play this weekend. We'll speak to Tim Manor about that game. But, yeah, Ryan Pappenhausen, he's a great nomination. And so are the Storm. I mean, just the epitome of sustained performance. Culture personified is, is that organisation. And to be the biggest to be the benchmark club of a competition when you are in a non-traditional state that sometimes goes a little bit unrecognized resisted as they might in new south wales that is the case the the best team in the competition the benchmark of the nrl is the melbourne storm and they've done it from being in a non-traditional footy state sydney uh, have been at the top of the tree um and have been uh, able to sustain success in the afl for many years, and that's been really impressive. The Giants are now starting to make finals regularly. 
but you wouldn't say over the last sort of 20 years that they have been at the top of the tree, and the Storm have. It is quite remarkable when you when you look at it. Hey, great nomination, Harry, and very much appreciate the call. So let's start rolling through. Uh, I've got a few, and they're, mine are pretty simple. You would have thought of all of these yourself, but we'll start with Max Gorn and, and Melbourne on Friday night. He was gladiatorial, Max. I, I was calling him Maximus Decimus Gornidius uh, on Sunday crunch time yesterday with Michael Barlow. At one point, he'd outscored Geelong himself. He kicked five goals. Geelong managed to kick six. When I was watching that quarter, that third quarter, I started to think of Cooter in 99 in that prelim in the last quarter where he had 10 disposals, I think six or eight marks and kicked a couple of goals. So Gorn kicks four goals. The game was still actually up for grabs at half time. They had a comfortable lead, Melbourne, but it, 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 they hadn't put him away just yet. It was beyond doubt at three-quarter time, absolutely beyond doubt. For some, it might have been beyond doubt earlier, but I still thought Geelong could could maybe mount a resurgence. Max gave them no chance. And the sheer audacity to kick some of the goals that he did, that was footy at its most fun. That was as joyful an experience as I can remember watching footy because that's what Max Gorn brings to the table. There's a roguish charm, but there's a childlike joy that comes with him as well. But he's a, a fierce competitor and leader. So he's sort of everything that you might want your players to be. There's humble, but he's hard. Um, he's fiery, but he's fun. He's so many things, which makes him so valuable to the game. It, it is an all-time great prelim final performance. It'll, it'll, it'll sit there when people talk from a Melbourne point of view and a game point of view. It'll be the, the conversation for D's fans for the rest of their lives will be Jeff Farmer in 2000 or Max Gorn in 2021 in, that, in those prelims. Who was better? And then Max's performance, as does the Wizards, sits equally alongside any prelim performance that, that we've seen. It, it was mighty. 33 hitouts as well, 19 disposals, and he tackled as well. I think he had about eight tackles. Gets clearances, wins contested ball on the ground as well. Mason Cox tweeting, welcome to prelim folklore, I thought was a nice touch. And he got the 10 coaches' votes as well. And when, from a Melbourne point of view, when Luke Skywalker himself is tweeting out congratulations, you know that the force is strong with you. Um, Mark Hamill was tweeting congratulations to the Melbourne Footy Club as well. So, I don't know, is that an omen? Does that is that does that sort of show that Melbourne are the Jedi and Western Bulldogs are the dark side going into this grand final? For the for those that uh, like a bit of Star Wars, the Melbourne story as well is is heroic. And there was an article on the weekend, and, and it was an interview with Gary Lyon where he talked about the family element, the connection to his sons around all this and their group WhatsApp chat and and everything like that, which um, I think that gets me emotional because that's one of the most beautiful things about sport, isn't it? That that's Oftentimes it's something that we share some of our fondest memories with our family and with our friends. Uh, I always wish that I had been able to do that with my dad, but when I was old enough to realise that he barracked for Collingwood and I didn't want to, uh, unfortunately I had to go on a different path at the age of five and that was to Hawthorne. So we never got to experience that. Um, but you, but in these moments when you see how much it means to families, uh, you, you do get a little bit jealous. But in that article he talked about some of the pain of which Melbourne have experienced 
and yet we all know the self-inflicted and drafts that they've stuffed up and all that kind of stuff. But the things that were outside their control uh, and, and, and the heartache for Melbourne fans dating back from, you know, when Norm Smith was sacked in 1965, a year after their last premiership, and then what happened in the 87 prelim with Jim running over the mark, and then the 88-96-point loss in the granny, the 2,060-point loss, the 2018-66 prelim loss, you know, almost having to merge in 1996. You've got a tanking saga that, that, that hung over your head for a long time, 13 years and one finals appearance in recent years, and then the, the tragic deaths of much-loved Melbourne people, you know, Troy Broadbridge, Sean Wright, Dean Bailey, Robbie Flower, you know, Jim Stein's battling, as Gary said in this article, not only to save his... At the same time he's battling to save the club, he's battling to save his life. And then Neil Danaher, who is every day an inspiration with the MND. So there's been a lot happening. It's, it's, there's been a lot, hasn't there? So to see, I think, joy for fans and the players. Like, I love watching the players revel in that. But I, my heart and mind goes to fans in that moment. And I, I said earlier that one of my best mates... Um, all his family are mad demons and there's six kids and they're all Melbourne supporters and their dad uh, sadly died earlier this year. And I texted him and I said, Kev, are we smiling and cheering somewhere? And he texted me back and said it was six months to the day um, that he passed and that was Friday night. So, you know, there's these little things that you just think these are these are to be treasured, these kind of moments when a team that's had nothing to be excited about. And you hear Melbourne fans all the time, in, you know, Melbourne fans, in, I always think of kids that are Melbourne fans going to school and how often they've had to be embarrassed by saying that they're Melbourne fans and you get teased and you get, and that's all part of it, we understand that. But now to have something to hang your hat on, to be in a, to a grand final, I think it was special. Um, Simon Goodwin was called the most, was, was quite, people were asked who, who are the coaches under the most pressure? And just about everyone that was asked that question from an expert's point of view at the start of the year said him and Nathan Buckley. And Nathan Buckley's no longer with Collingwood and Simon Goodwin's now into a grand final. He's turned this group around, hasn't he? I mean, the credit goes a lot to Mark Williams and Adam Uze. What about the impact they've had since coming across? But if you listen to the players, so the players who are having career best years and Christian Petrarca and, and Clayton Oliver, they credit Goodwin. They credit Simon Goodwin to, to getting them to where they need to be. There was some pretty frank discussions with that Melbourne midfield, um, Clayton Oliver and, and all of them, that he had to have Simon Goodwin. And it was about them being better teammates and not worrying about being the best player, but be the best teammate. How about blocking for your teammate? How about putting a, you know, how about maybe you sacrifice something of your own for them to get what they need? And um, apparently those conversations really hit home. Clayton Oliver's discussed it several times. So too is Christian Petrarca. Um, Jack Viney as well. Um, interesting that uh, it was it was great to hear Todd Viney on... Um, with Gary and Tim for breakfast uh, earlier today. Uh, and he spoke about when he coached Simon Goodwin at Adelaide. It's been one of my great frustrations over uh, the period of time that he hasn't got his uh, right due uh, in in his role and all this. Um, you know, he's um, he's one of the best footy people I've uh, come across. I was lucky enough to coach him in Adelaide. Uh, when I went to the Adelaide Crows, I was coaching midfield and uh, he was captain of the Crows. Um, one of my roles early days was to try and reshape the midfield and I kicked him out of the midfield to uh, the halfback flank. And um, and just his whole persona, the way he, um, he took that and went on to, I think he played, it was an All-Australian on the halfback flank. 
I have enormous respect for him as a as a player and my time with him in that the Crows for two years and then he's come over um, to be a succession coach um, under Rusey and that time was uh, a lot of people have got views on succession and that but both those two guys when they uh, when they spent time together um, it was all about culture creating the right environment and he's got a great uh, empathy for the player you know he's built great relationships with the players it's been frustrating to hear. People talk about how you know he's a bit mundane in his press conferences, and and he's also got that with his staff. You know, I'll obviously like Gary. I played my whole career at the club, and um, and then spent uh, another nine years, which finished at the end of 2019 at the club, trying to uh, ultimately, you know, put the club in a position to as a player and and then as an administrator to uh, to win a flag mm. uh, and to be respected. In the in the uh, in the competition, and there's certain times throughout our history we've been a you know superpower, and and then some other times we've been really competitive and haven't quite got the chocolate. So it's been all about trying to uh, you know get that uh, grand grand final glory um, and put us back as a really respected team in the competition. Todd Viney speaking about Simon Goodwin and then the D's rode back to respect uh, with Gary and Tim this morning, sen.com.au, if you wanted to hear that full chat, well worth a listen. So absolutely hero nomination for Melbourne. They handled the expectations beautifully. They handled the weight of history beautifully. Um, and their forward line, which had been the, the, the query. I mean, people concerned about, geez, have they got that mix right? Is that mix right? Well, Ben Brown kicked two goals. He had seven marks, four contested, and he crashed packs. He created opportunities. Cosie Pickett kicked three goals, played his role to perfection. Bailey Fritch had two. Spargo got a couple. McDonald might have only got the one, but he took some strong marks, and he had a goal assist as well. And then you add that in with... You know, Jack Viney's best game for the year, 34 disposals, 16 contested. He had nine clearances. Only Danger had more clearances. Uh, and then Petrarca, 32 disposals. He kicked one, two. He had eight clearances and 10 score involvements. So it was just a complete performance, wasn't it? I mean, it was. I didn't think there was a, a, a. I didn't think we'd ever see a performance quite top that in terms of sheer domination uh, of two top four sides meeting in a prelim to get in to a grand final. Until I saw what happened the night after. But uh, congratulations to Melbourne, eighty-three point win. They decimated the Cats and Max Gorn, absolutely the hero in a performance that'll live on for the ages. One three hundred seven three six seven three six. Keep your heroes and villains coming. I've got a few more. We're going to talk about the Western Bulldogs. We'll talk Storm. We've touched on Dylan Orcott, Daniel Ricciardo, and then the tennis as well. Jordan Mylata is a great story. Hero nomination for him. Did you see the block he laid today after signing a four-year, over $60 million US contract for the Philly Eagles? He was a former Rabbitohs under-20s player, I think, or under-18s player uh, in rugby league. That's a great story. Lauren Jackson into the Basketball Hall of Fame. And there's a heap of other hero nominations. Keep yours coming through. And we'll do some villains as well. one 736 736 Mark and Adelaide, you'll be first up on the other side of the break on the Sporting Capital, SEN. It's the best ruck performance I have ever seen. Max Gorn. The greatest performance by a ruckman in my time. I've never seen anything that complete. 19 possessions, 33 hitouts. 
He had five clearances himself, six tackles, including that great run down on Gary Rowan, and five goals, including a couple that would sit very nicely in the discussion about goal of the year. Yep. And and what gets me is the way they feed off Max's teammates. They take great joy in everything that he does. He just, look at that. That's a one-on-three. He just forced himself upon them. That's the most complete captain's performance you could ever hope for. And to have a Ruckman do that, uh, people have sat there over the journey and, and waxed lyrical about Nick Nat and what he can do. No, I've never seen anyone do that from a Ruckman's perspective. And the fact that he's captain as well, it was supreme. Uh, it's the best Ruck performance I have. There we go, almost on loop. Uh, the Chief, Jason Dunstall and AFL 360, just uh, giving his praise to Max Gorn. Um, can someone please advise Sam Hargraves that Jeff Farmer has never kicked nine goals in a prelim? He did kick nine against the Pies in a home and away game all in the second half. Uh, you are 100% right. Uh, it was eight goals in the 2000 prelim against North Melbourne. So I just added a little bit of mayo on top of that. But thank you very much for advising me. Uh, it was eight, not nine. Uh, and you are 100% right. The nine came against the Pies in a home, home and away game all in the second half. One of the best 45 minutes of footy I think we've ever seen. Uh, I was just one shy. Uh, appreciate that. I've written nine there and as I look at it, I think it was meant to be an eight, but the pen didn't come back around for the final loop as I struggle to read my own handwriting. But thank you. This is why I should probably type these things down. It's not the first time it's happened. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. 736 736 G'day, Sam. Hey, listen, were those seven or eight sponsor commercials, they, they were just to pay your um, your salary, weren't they? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, no, yeah, I've that, got a could-be... Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, that, that could-be could be hero will be the Melbourne Footy Club if they achieve what they need to achieve. And a could-be villain is the Bulldogs if they ruin it for Melbourne. <laughs> And that's fascinating, isn't it, Mark? Great. And that's a funny situation we find ourselves in. There's not there's not many people that don't love the Bulldogs, even if you don't barrack for them. There's a lot of people have a soft spot for the doggies. And this could be the first time I think they've probably entered into any game as the villain, unless they're playing your team, of course. But from an overall footy point of view, you know, they've got two grand finals um, in their history. We know uh, 2016 and, and 1954. That 1954 one was actually against Melbourne, and it was their, their first flag, as we know. Teddy Witten, Charlie Sutton, Jack Collins kicked seven that day. Sutton kicked three. Barassi, Cordner, um, Spencer and McMahon, some of the names on the field for the Ds, and Norm Smith, the coach at the time. But I, thought, I, talked about, I spoke about this yesterday with Michael Barlow on Sunday Crunch Time. This might be the first time that the, D, uh, that the dogs are going into a game as the bad guy, as the villain, and not that, and that's all tongue in cheek, of course. And and Bernie's not happy with me that I'm pumping up Melbourne. Uh, he believes at the detriment uh, and at the expense of the Bulldogs. I'm absolutely not. Um, I've got a lot of love for the Dogs, and and that leads me very nicely into their nomination for the heroes this week from me. So, Crowded House have got a song four seasons in one day. The Western Bulldogs are in five states in twelve. This is their build up. Couldn't train before this game. The game ended up being a training run, but they couldn't train before that game. They lost their best defender, Marcus Bontempelli, under an injury cloud. Cody Waitman, their most electric small forward, is out of the side. Haven't seen family nor friends, barely each other, in the time that they'd been on the road. It's their biggest finals win of all time. Luke Beveridge now has more wins 
than any other Bulldogs coach and more finals wins than any other Bulldogs coach. This will be their fourth final in four different states uh, on the weekend when they play. Never has a team had to go through a harder run to a preliminary final, I don't think, than what the Western Bulldogs have had to do. On the, on the flip side of that, Port Adelaide have had the easiest two-week lead-up to a prelim I think we've ever seen. But this is about their heroes, and the Western Bulldogs are absolutely that and a whole lot more. They jumped. If ever a team had an excuse to be a bit sluggish, a bit lethargic, a bit slow out of the blocks, it was the dogs in that prelim. They were anything but. They mugged Port. Game was over 14 and a half minutes in, and that was five goals to nothing. Seven goal to one first quarter. And if it wasn't over at quarter time, it was at halftime with a five goal to two second quarter. 59-point lead at the half. That was a very similar first half and first quarter to round nine when they won the contested ball by 17. But they were plus 23, I think, in that for the first quarter. That's world record pace. They had 80 points on the board to half time, So they'd kick 12 goals. They averaged 13 for the year. So for their yearly goal per game average is 13. They had 12. Such was the ease in which they were able to carve up Port Adelaide's defence or really lack thereof. Port actually won disposal. They won centre clearance and they won hitouts plus 25, but they had 89 turnovers. So the Dogs created 89 turnovers and kicked six goals in the first half from those turnovers. They finished up plus 30 in contested ball, plus 12 in inside 50s, and they went at 52% inside 50 efficiency. They were plus six in clearances. They had seven more contested marks. They had six more marks inside 50. By the way, that's another great thing about what the Demons did. For all the marking prowess inside Geelong's Ford 50, Geelong only took five marks inside the arc. And they knew that they had to take away the power's biggest strength, and that was their contested ball. So the power is 17-0 when they win contested possession. They took that away from them. They spanked them in that area. And some of the individual performances, you know, as we know, McRae, you know, said last week that your motto and the song that you play before each each game is never tear us apart. But if you didn't tag Jackson McRae, he was going to tear you apart. And they didn't tag anybody until it was too late. They finally got Willem Drew on to Libba sort of halfway through or in the first third of the first quarter. But he'd already done the damage. I think he'd already set up two goals and had several important clearances. They didn't make life difficult for the Western Bulldogs at all. And conversely, the Dogs made life extraordinarily tough for Port. They couldn't get a single thing going. They went in and they turned out the power in Adelaide like that. It was instantly dominant as I've ever seen a game. Just from the opening bounce, intent was was phenomenal. And Adam Trelaw is a hero nomination, isn't he? For, for what he had. And I'm of the belief that Absolutely. The people that need... You do in these games and in these finals with high-profile players, you do call out bad performance. uh, And you do call out performances that could have been better. And totally understand that. And this is not a crack at anybody who who did point out that Adam Truller had a hard game. But I think there was a fair overreaction to one bad game. And I was sort of of the belief that it didn't surprise me that he seemed a bit distracted and a bit off, given that he hadn't seen his family, his wife and, and child, for 18 months... So on the same night that he was at the Gabba, she was in Brisbane getting crowned MVP of the Queensland Firebirds. So to be in the same city as your wife and child and still not be able to see them because that's the restrictions that have been placed on you, yep, paid a lot of money, understand, you've got to be mentally, all that kind of stuff. But I, but I think 
when you look at the bigger picture, you go, well, I can sort of understand why he might have been a little bit distracted and he didn't have a great game. But they still won. He was brilliant the week before and he was phenomenal this week. 23 disposals and he had 13 score involvements. He kicked a goal himself. He set up goals as well. He was sensational, Adam Trelaw. 11 contested possessions. He had two goal assists, 490 metres. Josh Shackey continues to be a great story from a guy that people continue to write him off and say, no, no longer with that guy. He's just not up to it. He just doesn't have what it takes. I had the pleasure of meeting Josh Shackey when he was in Brisbane. He lived with Dan Merritt. And he's one of the loveliest people that you'll meet. He's quietly spoken. He's not a chest out, alpha male type, you know, like just a lot of key forwards have got a lot of bravado and, and, you know, you know their presence when they walk into a room. He's an unassuming sort of kid. He's not that way inclined. And so maybe the development was just going to be a little bit longer for him because he wasn't going to be that quintessential key forward that people wanted. But what he's found himself now is a role. And that's a credit to Luke Beveridge. That's what a great coach does. It, it They find the role that best fits you. They find a way to bring out your best assets. And the best coaches do it. And I think they've done that with, with Josh Shackey. Um, it was mutually beneficial that he, he asked to leave Brisbane Lions and they said, yeah, no worries. And he, he gets to the Western Bulldogs and he's finally found his place in footy and it's wonderful to see. And he played a, a phenomenal role. Bailey Smith. So when they talk about restructuring the his draft year, You've got to have him right up there now on equal pegging with Sam Walsh. Sam Walsh had a phenomenal year. Bailey Smith hasn't missed a game since debut. He went from three goals last week and 27 disposals to 23 disposals and four goals this week. He's getting better every week. And they say reputations are made in finals. Well, unfortunately, the other guys he got drafted with aren't in finals. Connor Rosie was. But Bailey Smith is, and he is playing his best football in the biggest games. And he is building one hell of a reputation in Charlie Sutton's old number six. And if he if he does the same again, he could very well be what I think would be the youngest ever Norm Smith medalist. I'd have to check. I know Andy McLeod had that record for a long time. I'll have to double check. But at 20 years of age, I would imagine that if he's not the youngest Norm Smith medalist, then he's very, very close to it. Um, and Marcus Bontempelli, by the way, might have only had the 20 disposals, but he kicked two goals. He had seven clearances the equal most of any player, 446 metres, eight score involvements, 10 inside 50s. Daisy Pierce said during the week to Jared, make his life a living hell. Words to that effect. She was a lot nicer about it. But she said Willem Drew should have gone to him to the opening bounce and just made it as uncomfortable for him as, as he possibly could. And that way you also, that also has an effect on his teammates. They did not do a thing to disrupt or try and put... Western Bulldogs off their game. It was sort of like Port Adelaide thought that they'd already got the game won. So there's a that's a, a big hero nomination for Luke Beveridge, the Western Bulldogs, Adam Trelaw, to the fitness staff who kept them up and about. They do a brilliant job uh, at the Western Bulldogs. Only the second time in the 18-team era that both teams in the grand final have been Victorian and both have been played outside Victoria, but the Dogs threw to just their fourth ever grand final and for a lot of the players who are going to step out there who played in 2016 they'll join EJ Witten as the only dogs to have played in two different grand finals so uh, this is a phenomenal story for the dogs yeah they had a really bad last three games of the season but they've had as good a three weeks in the finals as you could see and then history might beckon them again just phenomenal what they've been able to do. Uh, Glenn, stay right there. You'll be their first caller up but on the other side of this. We'll keep working through our heroes and villains. And Mick McGuire to join me at nine to give his take on this weekend's footy and what's to come in a couple of weeks' time as well. 
What have I heard? I think Brian Cook will be Carlton's next CEO. I think mm-hmm. that could be announced as early as this week. I think that that absolutely opens the door for the Blues having a, a red-hot crack at Chris Scott, who's got one year left on his deal. Um, there's a lot of moving parts to this. They've got a new CEO, Steve Hocking, returning to the club, who we know is an agent of change. Um, they've got an ageing list, which you know some people might think have... Lordy, I'm not sure what you think, have one more crack in them next year. That was Sam McClure on Sports Day a little earlier. So in an article that's up at sen.com.au now, he goes on to talk about that there is plenty of change expected. Obviously, we spoke earlier that Matty Knights has now gone uh, to the West Coast Eagles. He believes that... Uh, not only will the Blues be having a crack at Chris Scott to, if they can get Brian Cook, but he also believes that Corey Enright and Matthew Scarlett are no certainty to be uh, at the Cattery next year with Enright uh, being chased by several opposition clubs. Uh, and Scarlett, uh, he's saying he doesn't think there's any guarantee that he would continue there next year. So will this be the winds of change uh, sweeping through Cadinia Park. It's a it's a good question to ask. Jared Waitley, Chris Scott opened the door to this when he referenced uh, 2010 and the big changes they made then that saw him take over as head coach and Gary Ablett take off to the Gold Coast. Which I'll, I'll play that audio after nine o'clock. But uh, Glenn in Point Cook's been waiting patiently. G'day, Glenn. G'day, mate. How you going? I'm good. You got a villain for me? I do have a villain for you. Um, look, obviously I'm a Carlton supporter, but. Um I'm also uh, a Melbourne supporter at the moment, thanks to uh, a certain, um, what is it called, a great Australian flutter, gamble responsibly. So therefore, I want Melbourne to win the uh, the grand final and the dogs were a bit of a villain for me on the weekend, but the real villain, I think, was Collingwood. And the reason I'm saying that is, I think, look, I take nothing away from the dogs' performance. It was great. However, let's be honest, they've got a lot of midfielders Okay, they've just got too many, to be on, to be fair. But the reason they've been able to achieve this sort of midfield dominance, I think, is because they've got an A-grade midfielder that they're only paying, what, about $400,000 for. And they actually probably couldn't fit Adam Chalor into the cap if it wasn't for Collingwood. So, while that's not their fault, like, absolutely, they, why wouldn't they jump at that opportunity? I think that, that actually means that Melbourne aren't really playing uh, the dogs in the weekend. They're actually playing the dogs and a bit of Collingwood as well. <laughs> Uh, it's a big leap to make, Glenn, but I, I certainly think it's a valid point. And, you know, that whole idea of one man's trash, another man's treasure, whatever, you know, sort of cliche that you want to throw up at this is fascinating. That, yeah, you're right, they probably couldn't afford him. But the situation presents, they act decisively and strongly, and now they're the beneficiaries of having uh, a guy of the calibre uh, and and uh, polish um, and as a... a a player that Adam Trelaw is. So, yeah, it's it's been a big win for them. A really big win. It's a good point that you make. Matt's in Geelong. day, Matt. How are you, mate? I'm good. Uh, I've got 30 seconds. Who's a hero that you wanted to nominate? Yeah, I've been really critical of this bloke all year and um, he's just come in and been unbelievable in finals, stealing in up forward, and that's Mitchie Haddon. Yep. Yeah, and he would have um, been looking at Melbourne, wouldn't he, going, geez, what did I do? But you're right, his three goals on the weekend, he set up Bailey Smith's sealer the week before. Great nomination, Matt, and I thank you for ringing us up to, to make it. Hey, um, we'll take a break. We'll come back on the other side of it. Mick McGuan will join me, and we'll run his eye and get his view on the prelim weekend and what's to come. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Get the power!
Visit tyrepower.com.au now.